I want to get right to today's podcast. You're going to perhaps be introduced for the first time. If this is not the first time you've heard him. I think you're going to fall all in love with him over again. Uh, his name is David J. Harris Jr. He is a guy who is political commentator. Maybe. Is that how you would do it? Entrepreneur. Maybe. Podcaster. He's got a brand new podcast. David J. Harris Jr. podcast. He's got his own website. He's a Trump supporter. He's a black American. He's also the author of his own book, Why I Couldn't Stay Silent. You can find that now on Audible. He reads it himself. He's fascinating and very, very deep. We talk about Kanye. We talk about God. We talk about revival and the revival of the black American spirit and family. You are going to love this podcast. Enjoy. So before we get to why you couldn't stay silent, um, I want to go back uh, to you as a child. Where were you born? What was your upbringing? You're very religious now. Were you were you raised in a religious family? I was born in uh, Redding, California, and it's predominantly uh, pretty white community. The, out of the black folks that were in that area, half of them were my family, and then there was the other half, <laughs> pretty much. But my parents were very, were very strong Christians growing up. Um, my uh, grandpa was the first black chaplain for Shasta County, which is the yeah. area of Reading, and he was a minister for 53 years. Um, my parents got divorced at nine, and I went from what I was told, where I had a Bible verse memorized for every letter of the alphabet, and I'd like to get on my uh, a shoebox and act like I was preaching. Mm. I went from that to my family feeling like it was just torn apart. Literally, my dad picked me up from school at nine. And we hopped in the van. We was born in Redding. We moved to Klamath Falls, Oregon. Um, he picked me up in the van and we drove to Redding. And I didn't see my mom again until the court date. Wow. Where the judge brought me back into his chambers. And he said, young man, who do you want to live with? And at nine years old, all I could think about was, well, my dad is dark. My mom is white. My dad's black. And he's a man. He looks more like me. I want to live with my dad. And I didn't realize the ramifications that I would have felt from that decision, taking that decision on myself for literally decades later. What were the ramifications? So have you heard of the five love languages? Mm -hmm. So I'm a physical touch and words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. My dad is not. He was uh, service. You know, he made sure I had a roof over my head, clothes on my back, mm -hmm. but it wasn't it was rarity that I would get an I love you or I'm proud of you or any of those things. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in my teenage years. I got involved in drugs and drinking pretty heavily to the point where at one, at one time I had a pager on that would go off 50 to a hundred times a day from people wanting everything from weed to you were selling. Yeah. Crank mushrooms, acid, whatever. Wow. I was the drug dealer at the party. Everybody wanted to hang out with because if you were at the party and you were next to me, you only got something. Wow. So that was my, that had become my life. Um, I was very insecure. I felt like the more I could get 
ladies' attention that were popular in school, mm-hmm. the better that made me feel about myself. So I would have multiple girlfriends at one time and then try to keep them all separate. Holy cow. Um, I wasn't going all the way with them. Mm-hmm. I was actually not, I was afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. But it was just if I could get them to like me, then I felt better about myself. Mm-hmm. And at 18 years old, um, I had one girlfriend and her mom was supposed to be gone at a church retreat all weekend. And I showed up at her house and I was high. I had a big bottle of wine and it's Saturday night and her mom comes home and her mom was overly protective. Jennifer was her only daughter. She was a single parent and uh, we were expecting her mom to fly off the handle and get a pot, a knife, call the cops. <laughs> and she opened the door and we were just laying there. We weren't doing anything. And she says, so what's going on? And Jennifer says, well, we're just hanging out. And her mom says to her, was he staying the night? Yeah, that she would even ask that question. Welcome to California. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more of a God thing <laughs> that he gave her peace because her boyfriend before me that she'd been seeing for a year and a half was sitting on her bed in the middle of the day and her mom went off, get out of my daughter's room. You got no business in there. Mm. So we were expecting that times 10. And instead she asks, is he staying the night? So Jennifer said, well, yeah, he was going to. And then her mom asked, well, are you going to go to church tomorrow? Now, neither Jennifer nor myself had been going to church. Um, but my grandpa was a pastor. So I said, we can go to my grandpa's church, kind of like, hint, hint, my grandpa's a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so she asked what time it started, and she said, okay, and she shut the door and let me stay the night. And the next day, I remember waking up, and I hadn't drank anything yet. I hadn't smoked anything yet. I'm thinking, man, today really seems like a different day. And my grandpa's service was at 2 o'clock because he was sharing a church, so it was in between their services. So all morning goes by, I don't get any text messages or, or uh, from my beeper, yeah. a pager. And uh, we get to church and it's a full gospel, you know, church of God mm-hmm. in Christ church. And so the choir is just singing Nothing and, then, better. and then somebody in the crowd and the audience would stand up and the choir would quiet down and they'd testify as to what God was doing in their life. Mm-hmm. I was praying about this. I was going through this and God came through and the choir would go crazy and all the church would go crazy and the church, the choir would just keep going. So that just continued to happen. Person after person would stand up and it was becoming evident to me that not only was God real and working in people's lives, but I was missing out and actually doing the devil's work. My pager's on. Then this little church mother stood up, 80 something sweet little black lady stood up and she said she went to the window and she saw a clock in the sky and she said she saw the hands winding down and she said time is running out. And people got to get right. Time is running out and people got to get right. And I just broke. Here I am, 18 years old, drug dealing thug, uh, womanizer, and I'm bawling in church. It's becoming just real to me that God has been good to me. Your girlfriend and her mom with you? Yes. So I felt like I had to stand up, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) My pager's on. I love that feeling. I hate that feeling, actually. But (laughs) I know the feeling when you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And you just know you have to. Yeah, I did. All the the things were running through my mind as far as why I shouldn't. My life, what I was doing, who am I to say anything, Mm -hmm. shut up and sit down. All words in the enemy in my book. But I just stood up. 
And I stood up and I said, I'm just glad I'm still here after 18 years. And Glenn, the power of God's love flooded me, literally. Mm-hmm. And I took off running around the church. Like you had to run out the back door to come back in the other side. I did that three times. It felt like a thousand tons of weights were lifted off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Things visibly looked different to me. And I was so enamored and just blown away with this love that God would show me in the middle of my sin-drenched lifestyle. Just middle of it. He just showed me love. So I remember getting back to my seat, and I remember thinking, what about this girl, Jennifer? I really like this girl. And I felt Papa speak to me and say, don't worry about her. Just keep loving on me. And when I did turn my side and look at her, she had her hands raised, and she had tears streaming down her cheeks. And Papa spoke to me and said, there's your bride. Hmm. So we got married six months later, but I was still broken. I still had bitterness issues. I still had abandonment issues from uh, being taken out of my school like that, moved to a new area, not seeing my mom again at nine. Um, I had, I went through a course actually just a, a couple, a little over two years ago called, uh, restoring the foundations and it dives into ungodly beliefs that we can have like at the core of our being at our subconscious mm-hmm. where we don't even know they're there. Mm-hmm. What I discovered going through that was that from, from being ripped apart, I felt like ripped apart. And then from me actually sharing with the judge that I wanted to live with my dad, I held myself responsible mm-hmm. for the lack of words of affirmation and physical touch that I didn't get from my father. I also found out that the reason he picked me up, God bless my mom, I love her, I know she's in heaven right now, but she wasn't making very good decisions at that moment. Mm -hmm. And my dad found out about it, and they had been separated already, but he found out about it, and he was like, I'm going to get my son and daughter out of there. So he picked me and my little sister up and drove us to Reading. So he was actually trying to protect us. Mm -hmm. So going through that whole thing, uh, it uncovered why I had battled with depression, a lot of a lot of my life, uh, I had a belief that the women I love the most and need the most will leave me because I just didn't see my mom anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had a belief that I make bad decisions. Mm. How are you going to make good decisions in life if, at a subconscious level, I'm holding myself responsible for living with my father? And then throughout my teenage years, when I would go see my mom, she would give me words of affirmation and give me hugs and fuzzy my back and call me King David and tell me all these things that, you know, God's going to do these amazing things in your life. And so I always missed that going back home. So I held myself responsible. So going through that uncovered, um, the issues and the roots, really the roots of why I had battled serious depression for years, especially when I was traveling to work and abusing alcohol, just, it was a crutch, which opened the door back up for drugs. You an alcoholic? Um, I battled with alcohol. I would say I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I battled with alcohol for, for years and going through restoring the foundations, uh, exposed the roots for that. And I haven't had a battle. I haven't had the mental battle for it anymore. Haven't drank. Yeah. Haven't felt the need to. Um, so I am, I would say I'm, uh, sober 22 years now, uh, and, uh, 23 years. And um, I, I don't fight that battle anymore, but watching the news 
Mm. Man, once in a while, I just want a good Jack Daniels or a blackout. Just I'll take the blackout without the boobs. <laughs> I wasted I wasted all those great blackouts on nothing. <laughs> how, how I'd yeah, like to forget now. The news will have a tendency. Oh. Life will if you if you let it. But um, it's been a really good sober last couple of years. So was your when did you feel your life came together? Because you've been an entrepreneur. You've taken a an idea and made it into a multi-million dollar business. I mean, you've had great success. You've had great failures. Yeah. When did your life, do you think, when did you, when, when were you always conservative? When did you have the beliefs and be the man that you are today? I've always been a conservative because I've always um, believed that life starts at, at conception. So you've always been pro-life. Yeah. Yeah, my, raised in the church and um, just a, a firm belief that you know, we're here for a reason. We're not here by accident and that we weren't crafted and given our purpose and destiny in life after we came out of the womb. But the Bible says that before, I, uh, when you were in your mother's womb, uh, I formed you and gave you a destiny. And so that just was never really a question for me. And so I could never vote for anybody that supported abortion. Mm-hmm. That was just the, that was the crux of it for me. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people and I have a lot of friends that say, well, there's other there's been other good aspects of the Democrat platform. And I'm like, yeah, but if if murdering babies, innocent <laughs> babies is a part of their platform, what else is wrong? And why would I yeah. support somebody that that's a part of their platform? Right. So I just never could. Um, growing up in California, then Oregon, uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, I'm the I am the whitest white guy <laughs> besides the marshmallow man who stormed New York City in in uh, Ghostbusters. But I remember the first time I saw an African-American and my father said, don't stare. We were in the car together wow. and I was like, He's had oh, look how dark him. he is. How old were you? Mm, six, maybe. Okay. Uh, and you know, I was around Hispanics and Asians, but I'd never seen an African American yeah. um, in person. Right. At least. Uh, and we didn't, at least in my town, we didn't have busing issues. We didn't have the racism issues that I, at least that I was aware of. Yeah. And I remember people coming from back East and in the South and my, my grandfather at one point, I had a relative who was living down south, and he came back, and he had very racist views. Mm. And my grandfather was at the table, and he just did that. And this individual said, Ed, you don't know. You don't know what it's like. He went, Mm. and he said, I'm telling you. My grandfather got up and said, come on, we're all going. That's the only time I had seen racism. Wow. I always thought the West was different. Did mm-hmm. you have problems with racism living in the West? I, I did, but I got it from both sides. Because you're... Because my dad's... Half. Yeah, my dad's black. My mom is, is white. So from the black folks that were in my area, most of my friends were white because most of the kids in my class were white. So I had to make friends and I didn't even really see color. It wasn't an issue to me. It wasn't, it didn't even really register. So at what age, uh, through my early going into my teen years, I think that's 
I think I was 12 before I really, before I met somebody, um, I talk about it actually in the book that saw me on a water slide and I was, I was standing right next to him at the water slide getting ready to go down it and we're in line and I sneezed and I said, excuse me. And, and this older guy, um, probably in his late twenties looked down at me and said, there is no excuse for you. And it just felt so ugly and so hurtful. I mean, it felt genuine that he was really just like wanted to hurt, wanted to hurt me. Yeah. And it made me feel really bad. And I, I went and I shared that with a friend and he said, well, he was probably a racist. And I said, that's the only thing that would make sense. And I hadn't even thought of that before. Mm-hmm. Then in my, in high school, I had to have one of my good friends, a white guy actually go to my girlfriend's house and take pictures with her and bring her to the semi-formal prom so I could date her so I could be there with her because her parents wouldn't. Oh, they, if they knew that she was seeing me, they wouldn't let her go. Wow. They wouldn't let her out of the house. But then I would hear it from some of the black folks too in, in school, you know, Shay Whitey and high yellow. And so I kind of got it from both sides, but my mom, my mom always said I got the best of both worlds. When Barack Obama was running, you know, his, his speeches, a lot of his speeches were very soaring. And how can you disagree with that's kind of what you want America to be like, where we're all coming together. Martin Luther King, you listen to Martin Luther King speeches and you're like, yeah, I want that. Mm. I want that for everybody. Um, and, I, and I always thought, and again, I grew up in the West Coast, so I don't have experience and and quite honestly you have the kind of experience of racism that i would expect in america once in a while there's a jerk over here right jerk over there but generally it's okay yeah that was my view of race relations not in the south i had been to places where i had seen (laughs) yeah oh this is a different world right okay um what did you think of the race relations in America when Barack Obama got into office? Before he got in? Before he got in. You know, I, I don't think that I felt like there was an issue um, as big of an issue as I think he wound up creating it, creating one and exacerbating it and honoring Black Lives Matter and calling out the police. I really believe that he made race relations a front and center uh, issue for America because I believe, and I had to research this and, and came to these conclusions after he won, but I firmly believe that he won because of his race. He was to the black Americans. It's the opportunity to have a first black president. So many of my family members voted for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to white America, it was an opportunity to say, Hey, we're not racist. We can vote for a black guy. But not necessarily in a bad way. Not in a bad way at all. Yeah. I no. mean, sometimes when you hear that, you're like, well, but that doesn't make that. It, they're yeah, it doesn't proud make to be bad. able to go. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know what? My grandfather or my great grandfather or my dad, whoever, yeah. might have had feelings. that, are, But that's not me. Right. That's not me. I wonder how much that played a role, though. Even though it's a good intentions. Oh, I, a person's ability to say, oh, I think, know, I think it played a big role. Yeah, I, I think too. it played a big role. Yeah. I mean, it was history. Right, it was. it was. Everybody wants to be a part of history. Yeah. 
And then now we're left where we are all at each other's throats. And what makes things so horrible is uh, political correctness. I, I, I sat with members of, remember the shooting here in Dallas that happened, yeah. Black Lives Matter. My team happened to be down covering that at the blaze. And, um, and so when there was shooting, they all ran and cowered underneath a car mm. and they cowered underneath a car with some people that were marching with black lives matter. Wow. And they bonded. Wow. And so we brought them into the studio and they were not the militant black lives matter. They were the people who are like, our community is on fire and mm. no one is listening to us. And I sat with this woman, and, I, and it was one of the braver things I think I've ever done. Um, and I think most white Americans feel this way. I said, uh, we were talking about relations and you know, race relations, and I said, I have to tell you right now, I am terrified of what to say because I'm afraid I will say something mm. that I won't know is offensive but you will take offense to, and then I'm going to be a racist and it's horrible. She looked at me and she said, really? I said, uh-huh. And she said, cause that's the way I feel. Wow. I'm talking to you. Wow. We're, you know, <laughs> your book is why I couldn't stay silent. We are silent. Yeah. We're silent. We, we are afraid to speak. Yeah, this this PC culture has created this environment where so many people would rather just not say anything mm -hmm. rather than say something that's heartfelt. I think that, you know, we've talked, we talked some about Kanye, we might get back there, but I believe what our, our country needs is an awakening of, of forgiveness and understanding mm. that none of us are perfect that we all need to be forgiven and we all need to live a life of forgiving others and be, and not be so quick to be offensive, uh, offended. You know, we've got this, this culture that's, well, you offended me or you offended me and that we don't want to offend each other. And then nobody talks and, you know, evil men prosper when good men do nothing and say nothing. So we've got to get to a place where as a people, we can try to always look for the understanding of what a person's trying to say. Because otherwise, we're just going to stay divided. That comes from a belief that I always had, really up until the last maybe 10 years, that people are good. Yeah. People are generally good. There's some bad people out there, but people are good. We don't expect decency mm. from the other side. We assign ill will to somebody who thinks differently than us. They're right. our enemy right. or that's not what you meant. Right. Yeah, it is what yeah. I meant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you have, when you have the lack of empathy where you can't see the human inside, yeah. you have no chance of coming together. That's right. Yeah. That's one of the things that, um, I try to talk about when I speak, um, I get invited to speak in different engagements and events. And I try to remind everybody there, they're normally conservatives, 
uh, that I'm speaking to. I haven't been invited to any big uh, <laughs> Democrat or liberal forum yet. You never know. I don't think that's coming, <laughs> but good luck. <laughs> but I, uh, one thing that I really felt like Papa's impressed on me, especially as of late, to share and remind people of, is the, the scripture in the Bible that says our battle's not with flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual battle that we're in, and the enemy wins when we try to, as you say, lay the blame on the individual that's in front of us. And as, if we're fighting each other, then we're forgetting that there is an actual evil that is at work. I think people are, are um, there is good found in people. I believe that sin is in our blood. That's why the whole need for a savior is, is natural. There. Natural man is an enemy to God. Yeah. And that a, a redeemed individual, uh, somebody that understands their need for forgiveness, then understands the need to forgive others. Uh, there's a funny, there's a funny video. We don't hang on a second, but we don't. Forgiveness is not part of this new religion. The religion that we are practicing now as a country yeah. Does not forgive. Right. Louis C.K., absolutely not. Nowhere. Don't care what you say anymore. Don't care mm-hmm. if you apologize a thousand times, change your life. No forgiveness. Yeah. I think it's created the perfect platform for what just happened with Kanye. I do, too. Because. Tell me what you think is happening with Kanye. I think what happens, what's happened with Kanye, um, and it's very interesting, too, to see it unfold, because I I wrote about this in my book uh, a year ago, Mm -hmm. and then it came out uh, beginning of this year. Um, I really felt like God was working in Kanye's life. You know, he he went silent on Twitter for 18 months. I think God was working on his heart. I think he was seeing things that were taking place in our country, and he wasn't, he was debating and arguing and wrestling with himself over if he was going to lay it all on the line or not. To talk about it. And let's get some perspective here. Kanye was a guy four years ago that could do no wrong. Yeah. He was a... Two years ago. Two years ago. A genius. Yeah. Um, The greatest music producer of all time. You name it. He could do no wrong. Married into the Kardashians. Okay. (laughs) The money, the power, the glitz, the glamour, the all of it, whatever you wanted, the sex, everything. It's all there. Yeah. And for him, you know, because he is such a good marketer at first, it was wise to say, well, let's watch him for a while. Yeah. But there came a point to where this guy's getting pummeled so hard. So hard. Do you think the pummeling, uh, did you think he expected that at first? I think so. Do you? Yeah, I think he had close people in his circle that would tell him, A, it was don't come out for Trump, which I think was a God uh, urging for him to do that. You'll, You'll be branded, all these negative things, you'll be blacklisted. I really think he knew that... He was going to be laying it on the line, but he did it anyway. He moved forward and he went and saw the president, but he didn't have his conversion. I hear that he had a, his encounter with God in like April of this year. What do you hear was? Well, I heard that whatever it was, it was a true awakening in his heart, a true encounter with God, a Saul to Paul mm-hmm. moment. 
I mean, in an instant, a guy that's murdering Christians was making it his mission to murder Christians had just left the stoning of, of one of the apostles and was on his way to go find more and kill him. You listen to Kanye and his old music and it's dark playing that in church. No, it's dark. It's very dark. Evil. And you listen to it now. <laughs> holy. Literally. How? Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's and, got and God's it's, presence in it. It's interesting to me, because I think he is going to be the one that lights the fire for the third great awakening. Absolutely. And, um, and uh, it's interesting to me. This is church, though, for you. How church people have been praying for an awakening. Yeah. And they've been praying for God to use a man in power. Mm -hmm. And I think many of them think they got it with Donald Trump. Yeah. But Donald Trump hasn't had his Saul to Paul moment. He's still Saul. Yeah, I don't think so. But he's doing great things, you know, for Christians and everything else. But he's still Saul. Yeah. And here comes this guy who was Saul, now seems to be Paul, is opening doors and starting something. And I've heard Christians, well, now, wait a minute, what yeah. are we doing? Let's, let's not <laughs> wait. Yeah. You're like, what are you, what are you talking are you, about? Are you kidding me? This is what you've been praying exactly. for. Exactly. That's just like Papa. Uh, we've heard it for decades. You know, he may not call when you want him to, and he may not come the way you think he's going to, but he'll always come on time. And I absolutely believe our country is in desperate need of an awakening of God's goodness and his presence because it's in, in his presence. There's fullness of joy. When you get in God's presence, when you're, it's like an, it's like a positive infection because when you get infected, when you come into contact with God's presence, you know, there's nothing else like it and nothing else can come close to it. And you listen to Kanye's CD and it's full of God's presence. I mean, he made that CD with God mm-hmm. and that's how it was produced. And so it comes out in that, in that music. And it, it's, it's funny. I've hear so many people that are, that are believers that want to throw stones and throw doubts. And it's like, you're saying, right. It's, it's not just me that's praying. saying that. No, it's like, no. What, are you kidding me? Do you see what's happening? Yeah. But, but I really do believe most Christians, I mean, you know who John Hagee is? Yeah. Okay. I haven't John, heard uh, his stance. Is he talking no, about it? No, no, no. Uh-uh. No, it, but this is something else. We were in we were in Israel together one day, mm-hmm. and we're sitting there, we're listening to these preachers, and I love John. And he leans over to me and he says, these guys are going to be really surprised when Christ comes back. And I, <laughs> I said, why, why is that? And he said, because he's a Jew, and he's going to speak Hebrew, they might not be all okay with that. Yeah. And I thought, wow. I think many of many of us would stone Christ if he can, because mm. he's not coming the way right. we picture him. We right. think, yeah. you know, our job is to keep an open mind. Yeah. You know, if God comes, you know, Jesus comes in and he looks like, you know, John Merrick, the elephant man. Yeah. They didn't expect that. Didn't see that one coming, but right. Okay. Yeah. You know, and here he is giving us a gift. Yes. And so many of us are like, "Mm, I don't know. I like that. Yeah. No, he is sending shockwaves through the church, through believers. 
I, I, I feel like I get a glimpse sometimes of how many believers that were like Kanye, were like me, were like a person that knows God, knows God's real, but are lukewarm or have just walked away or they've allowed life to get in the way of, of truly trying to live a life that every day says, Papa, what is your will for me? And they're being woken up. Let me give you an embarrassing true story. I was uh, home just this week, and I was watching Billions, Mm -hmm. and my wife comes in, and she sits down next to me, and she just sits there, and she doesn't say anything, but I could feel her, and I stop, and I said, go ahead, and she's like, what? And I said, oh, I can feel the thinking, (laughs) say it. She said, you used to read your scriptures all the time. Mm. And she said, I never saw you without your scriptures. Mm. And now I walk into a room and you're watching this. And she said, it's not your fault. How have we gotten to this place? Mm. She was right. It, it happens slowly yeah, subtly. and you just kind of sometimes you just get beaten down and you're just because yeah. i know that's how it started with me i was like i'm just tired i just want to tune out yeah i just want to tune out for a while right and pretty soon that good guy that good woman they're just in a different place and like and it's hard yeah i think that the a lot of people are just coming to the realization that that's happened seeing what's happened in Kanye's life. I think automatically God will shine a spotlight back on our own. Oh yeah. Because when you see somebody that's radiating presence, God's presence and love like that, you can't not be affected by it. It's hard to, and if you believe it, and if you believe it, I know you do in an, in an opposite force. Yeah. He is going to go through absolute hell. Look, the attacks that are going to come his way are going to be beyond any of our wildest imaginations. I'm always thankful for that verse that says there's, there's more with us than against us. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, from what we can see and perceive and think are going to come at us. I just always choose to remember that God is bigger. There, there's no real battle between God and the devil. That's not even a, that's, that's laughable. There's no competition there. God wins hands down every time. And when we're his kids, if we just choose to rest in him and rest in that, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while on the outside of Kanye, of Candace, of myself, of, of those of, of you that have gone through things and we're being used as voices to try to wake up the masses and ask for God to just use us. Cause God has used you amazingly and he's going to continue to. I really believe he's going to even use you in your next 10, 12 years more Mm. than your past 20. Mm. I really believe that for you. Wow. Uh, And so when he's with us, he'll make that walk easier. I will tell you that um, I've told this story a couple of times and it happened to me 10 years ago, but I've told this story a couple of times recently because it's starting to play out. I was with Billy Graham. Mm. Um, wow. I, I had a couple of times 
with him. I, I was with him right before he died. And then I spent about six hours with him at his house. Wow. Um, and while he was still kind of really going and, um, just the most amazing conversation you can bet ever imagine. Uh, my goodness, the kindness and the, mm. he is, he was very, I mean, he's what I expect the bare minimum Christ would be, you mm. know, he wow. just had, he had such fire in his eyes, but it was such peace, you know? Mm. Um, and I said to him, we were, we got to a point where we were just kind of, you know, thinking out loud with each other and kind of talking. And and I said, um, where, where are we headed, Billy? And uh, he said, no place good. Let's see. It's trouble. Wow. He said, but we know how it ends. And I said, where are the, where's the next Billy Graham? Where's... Where's the next Abraham Lincoln? Where is mm. the next? And he said, I don't think it's going to happen that way, Glenn. Mm. He said, I think this one is going to be so tough that everyone will have to admit only the Lord saved us. Wow. And he said, but you watch. He said, he's not going to, he's not going to pick people you know, like me, and then everybody in the world knows their name. Mm. He said, he's he's going to call on people all over the world, and they're all going to do just their part. Mm. And he said, you watch. They'll start to connect. And one will be doing one thing, and another will be doing another, and then all of a sudden they'll connect, and they'll go, oh, my gosh. And then someone else will come in and go, oh, my gosh. Wow. And he said, it will be all these little people just doing exactly, even if they don't know why they were doing it, yeah. doing exactly what the Lord told them to do. Build this, do this, stand here. Mm. And then pretty soon, and he said, we'll just all connect and we'll all know in the end, that was the Lord. That was Papa. Isn't that amazing? Because yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah, that's, what I'm ha- that's what's happening. You know, you're friends with Candace Owen. You played a yeah. big role in in her, uh, in her movement, was it Blexit? Blexit? Yeah, I'm actually speaking there. Are you? Yeah, in Atlanta. So tell me about Blexit. Tell me how, you know, what role do you play in that? And and look at how you're connected to her. She's connected to to uh, Kanye, and how this is all just boom, 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 and it's not yeah. one person, right? No, Papa has been doing that. Ble- Blexit's amazing. Candace is amazing. Her heart is is huge. Her voice is huge. God is using her mightily uh, as a beacon of light and hope to a lot of, a lot of, especially black girls, but even just the black community to be able to have a strong voice and be courageous when you speak it. Mm. You know, that's been, um, we've had those leaders in the black community and conservatives, but not young like Candace. Um, and not as, as not as given as much of a platform as Candace has given. I mean, it's it's been pretty amazing to watch her her reach and her appreciation grow. And I would share with her from the very beginning. I would talk to her about Papa, and send her some scripture verses and pray with her. She religious. She knows. Uh, I don't want to speak for her, but she does know that God is working mm-hmm. in what she uh, in what she's doing. Mm-hmm. 
And then when we first started talking, there she wasn't quite as clear. And I would and I would share some things with her, and and uh, I shared my testimony with her, and she was like, "I love that. You've got to share that, you know, at the next Blexit." And uh, and it wasn't just me. I know other people were also speaking into her life. And as of as of late, over the last three to six months, I've seen and heard more from her with an open, honest uh, understanding, revelation of who God is as her as her Lord and Savior. That I would I would uh, believe that she's a believer, that she's a Christian. And I know her husband, uh, I know he is, he comes from a very strong heritage and family. Um, and he's a believer. So I, I think there's just on the beginning of what God is going to do for, for them and through them for this generation. Hey, let me take a quick break here and tell you about Quip. They are the makers of Quip, the electric toothbrush. And they want you to know the one single discovery that matters most for your dental care is this. If you have good habits, you're good. Now, that means brushing your teeth for two minutes twice a day, flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use, it doesn't matter. Now, Quip makes it really, really simple. They start with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. They have this electric toothbrush from Quip, sensitive sonic vibrations, built-in timer, 30-second pulses. That way you know exactly, okay, I've done it there, okay, I've done it there, and it keeps everything clean, gonna be great. Then it also has the floss dispenser. It comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and your toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping. So your routine is always the same, always right. You have everything you need. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com slash Beck, if you go there right now, you're also going to get your first refill for free. So get your first refill for free at getquip.com slash Beck. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Beck. Quip, the good habits company. So is the... Is the movement of, I, I saw, um, what was it? I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was um, a show that opened up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1920. The Watchmen. Yeah. 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 And... Um, Nobody knows that history. I mean, African-Americans do, but... Yeah, Black Wall Street. Yeah. Whites don't know that story. And I was watching it actually with my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, and he didn't know the story. As soon as it opened up, I was like, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 21, I'm all this Black Wall Street. Yeah. He was like, what is that? Well, <laughs> I was like, let's watch. It is one of the most incredible yeah. stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was tame yeah, compared to literally. what it really was. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm watching that, and I was struck by... Uh, how the little boy wrapped the baby up in a blanket that was made to look like the flag. Mm -hmm. And you immediately th think now you see the flag, you see a blanket with a flag. Oh, you got to be conservative. Mm. African-Americans, blacks were conservative. Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. God followers, yep. strong families, yep. all of that. Stronger families than whites were. In the 1960s, yep. then the Great Society just destroyed Decimated it. it. The, the movement, I, I believe, and I think you do too, if we're going to save our country, 
it's got to be a God thing. Yeah. Because ha- that's the only thing real. That's the only rock yeah. you can tie yourself to. Is, is the... What's the health of the black community, the health of the white community with God, I don't think is real good. How is it with the black community? You know, I can't speak for the entire community, but what I can speak to is what I know. And what I know is that the majority of the black community has been supporting Democrats for 60 years. And I had a video that I, that I went live about um, last week. I was actually listening to Kanye's song, God Is. I was getting wrecked in my car and just started thinking about the black babies that have been aborted. Mm. Over 20 million black babies aborted in this country. And I felt the urge and the need to just put my phone on and record myself. And I just poured out whatever I felt God was giving me to say. And the charge was to the black leaders, pastors um, that have allowed Democrats to come into their churches some of them are promoting Democrat policies and Democrats only while abortion is a part of their party's platform. Mm-hmm. And I've had, I actually even had one very prominent conservative black pastor that I won't say his name, but uh, he got angry at my video. And he said, but you got to understand the, the culture and the community and the, the most of these kids that are having abortions aren't in the church. You know, they're not going to church on a regular basis. And while I can understand his perspective, there's the, the church is responsible. I really believe the church is responsible for the state of our country. One hundred percent agree. And it's I don't understand because I hear that from pastors all the time. Look, you don't understand. I'm trying to get the Well, you don't get the community by becoming the community. You 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 are responsible for the community. Yeah. So you got to lead the way with love. Right. You know, you don't condemn them. Hey, well, right. they have just had an abortion, so they're not going to come to church. Because what? I'm going to say you're going to hell. Yeah. You love them. Right. You love them. Well, and even more, even more outreach programs for, you know, at the abortion clinics yeah. uh, or for those that have had abortions, uh, more outreach programs to help strengthen the family uh, in and of itself. But I think that overall, the church has to understand that. A, Jesus wasn't a socialist. He wasn't telling us to have a rule of government that dictated how we treated the, treated the homeless and, and the needy and the poor. That was a charge for the church. As believers, we should have that in our heart to help the, the homeless, the hurting, the needy, the poor, the broken. Right? And church is not a building. Exactly. Church it's us. People. It's us. We are the church. Yeah. And so, yeah, I poured my heart out. Uh, Dr. Alveda King shared it, actually. She yeah. sent it out to her to her email blast. And I guess his uh, her uh, engineer sent it to another friend of mine that was mm. like, I've, I know this guy. This is who he is. I've talked to Alveda on the phone, uh, FaceTimed when I had her uh, god niece, uh, Angela Stanton King, on my show a couple mm. times. Mm-hmm. But she'll be at the uh, event in Atlanta. Say hi to her for me. I will. She said, I'll never forget, she spoke at uh, my event in Washington, D.C. There are 500,000 people. Wow. And uh, and I had asked her about a year before. I said, Alvita, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to do it in the mall in Washington. I said, I'd like you to talk 
Mm. You can you stand in for your uncle? And she said, uh, "Oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to." And I said, "Okay." And right before I walk out, I'm speaking before she does. Right before I walk out, she's sitting under this tent, and she's looking at all of the camera shots, you know, of five hundred thousand people. And I said, Are "You ready to go?" And she said, "One second." And I said, what? And she stood up and she said, the next time Glenn Beck says he's going to do something big, I'll believe him. <laughs> and I walked out. She's, nice. she's such a sweet, sweet woman. Yeah. Sweet woman. And blasted in the media. Of course. I mean, it's like, how can she you tells a woman tr- like that? She tells the truth. Yeah. She tells the truth. She, yeah. she is more like Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Than everything that everybody says Martin Luther King was like. Yeah. I mean, he was the reverend right. Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, absolutely. You're a big fan of King. I'm a, yeah. I am a uh, probably 10-year fan of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention, you know. He has the answers. And it's not, it's so stupid to say this. Because before him, Gandhi had the answer. Gandhi and Martin Luther King said, it's Jesus that has the answer. It's so clear when you read King why he changed the world. Yeah. You know, it's just, he had a way of, of, of shaming us without shaming us. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was not... You know, right now, people will say God's a socialist or whatever, or Jesus is a socialist. Really? Because I don't remember Jesus saying, shut that man up. Right. I never ostracized that person. Yeah. Um, You know, go take their stuff and give it to somebody. Never. Yeah. Never. Uh, Only in the parable where he gave the talents. Yeah. He, He gave one, 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 two, one, five, and they were supposed to go work. Right. And do something with it. Mm-hmm. And the only person that he took it from was the one that did nothing. Uh, and what is that parable? That parable is y- y- nobody. We don't have all equal outcomes, right? We, we don't, don't have all start equal. equal. Yeah, we don't start we don't, equal. Yeah, and and I'm not judging on how much, right? I'm just seeing what have you done, right? But to the socialist that did nothing with it because he was afraid he was going to lose it, he thinks he should be rewarded, right? To the mindset of anybody that thinks our government should be socialist, and they say Jesus was a socialist, they don't know their scripture. He, it was taken from him because he did nothing with it, and given to the one that had invested it. So, um, I've been finishing up a book that is going to be released in a couple of months, um, uh, right before uh, Super Tuesday, and yes. it's uh, called Arguing with Socialists. Oh, I bet that's going to be so good. It's good. It's yeah. funny. It's good. Um, but I, I was discussing it with uh, some of the researchers yesterday, and I'm working on the last chapter. And uh, while it's funny and, you know, it goes after, you know, the crazy socialists, I really wanted to aim the book to where somebody who is honest, mm. who believes that socialism is about loving and caring and sharing, mm-hmm can come to a place to where they go, 
Only that's not socialism, is it, when you're hit with the facts? But there is something that we all connect on. When I listen to Bernie Sanders, I listen to Elizabeth Warren, I listen to all these people, I agree with much of their diagnosis. <laughs> right. Okay? Yeah. I can listen to them complain and bitch and yeah. go, yep. <laughs> right. <Yep. laughs> Once they get into their prescription, you're like, exactly. don't do that. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah wrong don't prescription do for wellness. Right. And millennials right now are being told you will be fulfilled if you are on this train and you just advocate for this philosophy and you'll be fulfilled because we will together fulfill all of your wildest dreams. It's going to end up where they're very hollow inside. Yeah. When I was their age, I was very into money and and fame. By the time I was 30, I was a completely broken man because Mm -hmm. it never fills it. Right. This will never fill that hole. And that's a generation that wants to make a difference. Yeah. How do we... How do we talk to people who don't understand faith? I've never had that encounter where you're like, oh, wow, what was that? That felt good. Mm. Um, natural man does not want to serve others. At least I don't. I, I, I go to service projects and I go to things. And every time my wife is like, we're going to go help them. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I've got so much stuff to do. And then I get there and I serve. And all the way back, I'm saying to her, how can we don't do that more? Yeah. You know, it's not in your DNA necessarily to serve. How do we talk to them about that? This is what Jesus was preaching. This is Jesus was just saying, you, Mm -hmm. you and me, we're going to go out. We're going to do some great things. And you are going to be so filled with good. You're going to be complete. Yeah. But Jesus is a joke. God is not existent. The government is your God. These people are the enemy. How do you talk to them? One person at a time. I mean, I, I always try to remember when when I'm dialoguing with anybody that it's just me and them in that moment. Because I think that's, I don't think there's a shotgun answer for all those different variants of people. I think that we've got to remember that it's about the person that's in front of us. I, I had an opportunity to... uh I was flying to DC and I was going to go see the president at one of the events. And I always wear my Trump hat, got my Trump 2020 hat on. I have a pullout banner that says I support 45 on one side and Trump 2020 on the other. And I like to make videos on the airplane. I don't know if you've seen any of them. I have. Yeah. The president shared one of those. Sometimes you're a little punk. (laughs) (laughs) I like to just be pretty out out in the open, you know? So I was, uh, I fly quite a bit. So I got upgraded a seat uh, to first class and I was in the first row, but I was against the window and I was thinking, man, it would have been great if I was on the aisle because everybody's got to walk, walk right by me the very first seat. So the gentleman that's getting ready to get on the plane right before me, I happened to notice his ticket as he scanned it and he's the aisle seat and he's a black guy and I'm behind him and I'm thinking, I think I just saw his ticket for a reason. I think I'm supposed to ask mm-hmm. him. So I was like, hey, sir, would you mind switching me seats? We're both in the very first row. I'm just on the window. I like to make videos. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So as we sit down, he sees my hat, my Trump 2020 hat. And he says, oh, man, I don't know if I would have traded you seats if I would have saw that hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, really? As I'm setting up my camera, 
and setting up my tripod. And as soon as I turn it on, he says that. And I was like, why not? And he's like, well, you know, I, I, I didn't see your hat. And I opened up my banner, Trump 2020. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my gosh. He's like, I feel like I'm being punked. He's like, where's Ashton Kutcher? I'm waiting for him to pop out now. But we had the opportunity on that uh, two, three, two and a half, three hour flight from DFW to D.C. to actually talk. And he was semi-religious. And I, and I like to say relationship because... I understand how the word religion is used for people, but I have a relationship with my papa. You know, it's like if we have a relationship with papa, then it's not just going through the motions. I I think that he had an awareness of God, but he was very intelligent, great job, worked for a, worked for a a big tech company, not one of the social media ones, but uh, I think it was Oracle, worked for a great company, married, kids. He'd never had a dialogue with a conservative or a black conservative. He'd always just written us off. If he saw one of us wearing a Trump hat or any shirt, he would just write us off like we didn't know what we were talking about. So I had the opportunity on that flight to actually engage and talk and try to meet him where I felt like I could, I could open up his eyes to some things positive that are taking place and give him some understanding, too, to some of the, the lies, literally, that he believed from the mainstream media on how they twist videos and they show clips and they paint our president racist. He hadn't heard those sides before. So at the end of that flight, he not only wanted my numbers so that he could stay in contact with me, but he gave me a ride to my hotel in downtown D.C. from Dulles. Mm. One person at a time. Mm-hmm. I think when there's enough of us that have avenues and sources, like you are a great source for news, for truth, uh, when we have enough of us individually out there that are resourced with information, and then when I meet somebody and I feel like Papa's brought me into that connection with them in that moment mm-hmm. to either water a seed or plant a seed of faith. Mm-hmm. I'm always keeping my ear and my heart open to that. It's like, I realize when Papa's connected me with, with anybody, is it for this or is it for that? And most times I don't know. Yeah, I just know yeah. like you, you'll see things and you'll be like, Oh geez, Okay. All right. I got it. Yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know there's some sort of connection yeah. that's supposed to happen. And sometimes you don't, you don't know. You just, you just don't try to win. Right. He's not putting you there to win. Right. It could be planting a seed. It could be watering a seed. It could be for you to learn something yeah. about you from True. them yep. as well. So I know that um, as far as reaching the masses and reaching the people that either believe that the government is supposed to be the answer for us. You know, I don't think that we're supposed to live our lives as babies that need everything given to us and, you know, bottle fed, spoon fed, change our diaper. I don't know know who would like that. We need personal responsibility. You know, everybody should understand the need for personal responsibility. And then when you understand that need, that you're responsible for yourself, Mm -hmm. no matter how the, the cards were dealt to you in life, we've all had cards dealt to us, some better than others. Does that mean that we should have a pity party? Woe is me about where we're at? No. We should play the best hand that we're dealt, do what we can every single day to be our best version of ourselves, and hopefully at the end of the day, have an understanding that we were created at this time to live in this hour for a reason, and there's a creator that wants to know us as, as Papa, he wants us to know him intimately, that wants to co-labor with us in creating things in this world that'll change the world. I, I, grew, up in, uh, I grew up in a faith where my understanding as a child was 
God is everywhere and yet nowhere. And so I couldn't get my hands and arms around him. You know, mm. I knew he existed. I just couldn't get my arms around him. And a friend of mine said something that was game-changing to me. Glenn, stop thinking of him like everywhere and nowhere. Think of him as a father. Mm. Think of him as your dad. Yeah. A good dad. Yes. Not your dad. A right. good dad. Perfect. And um, he said, just do it for 30 days. Mm. Your whole understanding of God is going to change. I look now at God as my dad, as yeah. literally my father. Yes. And I let so much stuff go now. Mm. I don't fret. I often am like, you know, I know I'm in the car going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And dad's driving going, oh, dear God. Yes. Yeah. Soon. Soon. Son. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I see myself as the child. Mm. And I, I, it not only helps me understand him, understand you're not in charge. Yeah. You know, you are still the son here. Yeah. And trust me, I got it. Yeah. I got it. You don't know. You don't understand what I'm doing yet. Just mm. do this. I understand that. And then I understand how to parent my child. Yes. I was so afraid of parenting mm. uh, because I didn't have a good family, didn't have a good dad. I didn't. Uh, none of it. I was terrified. Mm. Once I read the scriptures, like a note from my dad. Right. I got this. <laughs> yeah, it changes everything. 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 And that's who Jesus was. He was the living example of what we should be like. Yep. Our Father, who art in heaven. He's our Father. He's our Daddy. Where's he at? He's in heaven. He's high above all this mess that we're in. Mm -hmm. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Asking for his will to be done daily in our lives. Jesus said, pray this daily. Um. It's something that I think we all know. I think a lot of us are learning and we're, those of us that have an awareness of God's presence and of who he is are growing in that awareness of the timing for this. I don't think anything else, and I think even people that are non-believers have to see this. I don't think anything else can truly save this country from disaster other than a revival, an awakening of God's presence and his goodness breaking forth through every part of society and every community because then that's when you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. And when you truly are doing those things, there's so much less division. And I've only prayed for this one other time before in my life, and I'm afraid to pray for it as a nation, but I think we have to. The one thing God will answer immediately is when you pray for humility. Mm. The country needs to be humbled, mm. and uh, that's not going to be pretty. No. Um, I talked to a pastor who escaped China, um, and uh, just a remarkable man. And he said to me, I said, well, we're praying for the people in China. He said, that's funny because we are too. But you know what we're pay praying for Americans? I said, no. He said, that you fall. Wow. And I said, how is that helpful? <laughs> and he said, you have forgotten mm. who you are. 
You need to be humbled. We know when you are humbled, wow. you will remember who you are, and you will come and save us. Wow. Wow. Mm. It's true. It is. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You too, Glenn. Thank you. Absolutely. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people.